0: This message comes from NPR sponsor Xfinity. Some things are slow, like snail races. Other things are fast, like Xfinity XFi. Get fast speeds, even when everyone is online, working to make Wi-Fi simple, easy, awesome. More at Xfinity.com. Restrictions apply.
1: Odds are, right now, you're listening to this podcast as you make your way home or somewhere for uh, Thanksgiving. So either you're traveling in a car or... Or maybe you're on a flight somewhere. Or a horse. Or maybe you're on a Segway. Any of those ways, it's pro- it's probably horrible for Especially you. Especially if you're on a Segway. And we're going to try and make it better. Uh, we are holding a Thanksgiving travel photo contest. Here's what you do. You get us a
2: picture of one of the things we're about to tell you, wherever it is you're going, and send it to us. Send us
1: this picture at howto at npr.org. Okay, so here are your categories. You need a photo that fits one of these categories. A meal made up entirely of food purchased at a gas station. Two things that, when combined, could create disaster.
2: A Game Boy. Miserable people being forced to sing in a car.
1: A board game you've never seen before. And finally, something for sale no one would ever want. A photo that fits any of those categories will is fair game. Send it to us at howto at npr.org. We'll pick a winner in each
2: category. And there will be prizes. Good prizes. Fantastic prizes. Prizes. The best. This is How to Do
1: Everything. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. On today's show, we'll tell you how Rudolph guides Santa's sleigh. And we'll tell you how to get through a door as smoothly as possible. But first, it's Thanksgiving. And that means time for Thanksgiving dinner. Which means very likely it's time for awkward conversations with your family. So how do you get out
2: of those moments? On the line with this now is David Axelrod, a former political advisor to President Obama.
1: So, David, it it occurs to us that uh, a lot of the skills a politician needs in a debate and in dealing with other politicians, that those skills might might be helpful, applicable to uh, dinner with the family.
3: Uh, Yeah, actually, I've found dealing with uh, politicians easier than dealing with Thanksgiving dinner uh, with the family, you know.
2: Well, so, okay, as a, as a strategy guy, as an advisor to, to politicians, what do you tell them? Like, how do you tell them to deal with questions that they really don't want to answer?
3: Well, first of all, you want to steer the conversation, right? In my family, uh, you want to steer away from any reference to my uh, wedding, where uh, they got into such a heated dispute that my mother left, and we weren't sure until five minutes before the ceremony whether she was going to actually attend uh, so, rule number one: choose the topics carefully. Uh, choose the innocuous topics that aren't going to set off the fireworks. Rule number two: pay special attention to the seating and keep the combatants far from each other.
2: Well, so okay, we want to we want to put your skills to the test. Are you ready to do this?
3: Well, um, I'm frightened, but I'm willing to move forward.
2: We
1: uh, a lot of our listeners have written in with the awkward subjects likely to come up at their Thanksgiving dinners. And we want you to to play the role of the Thanksgiving victim, somebody who's at the table, this comes up, and you need to somehow deflect it. Okay. All right. Okay, so your
2: first role, uh, this is Brent, and he anticipates at his Thanksgiving, people are going to ask him, so Brent, how long have you been single? What's going on there?
3: (laughs) Uh, Well, I would say uh well tell me about you how long have you been together how did you guys get together i'm really interested in that and i'd uh and i'd uh, turn the subject but i want to also retain always there's like an out card and i don't know it may be different in every city here in chicago when someone brings up something awkward uh the the out card is always how about those bears oh, okay and that, that Creates a whole other set of grievances.
2: What was what was so well done with what you did for Brent was you not only steered the conversation away, but you flattered the questioner.
3: Yes, which is a skill you learn in politics, right? You want to make people feel good about themselves, so turning the conversation back on them is often a good technique. I highly recommend that.
2: Okay, so here here's another one. This is from Catherine, and it's not so much a question as it is a topic she anticipates coming up around the table, uh, due to the to the relative age of everybody there, and that's colonoscopies. <laughs> and people either sharing stories or asking advice. So imagine you're Catherine and people around the table start talking about colonoscopies.
3: I would say you seem so interested in it. Can you go up on uh, the turkey's up there, why don't you demonstrate <laughs> how it's done? And maybe that'll pull maybe that will uh stop the conversation, but it is, you know, everybody stands around and watches the turkey get prepared, people stuffing things up, the per- turkey's butt, so maybe it's only natural that colonoscopies, uh, as we say, flow from that.
2: Okay, here's, here's another one, and this is from Ellen, and it sounds like for her family gathering, a uh, lot, of, lot of people, maybe people they don't see very often, and Ellen anticipates that her cousin, who recently announced uh, that he was a furry meaning he wears uh, usually like a mascot costume, <laughs> say, full animal costume, no part of his body exposed. She, sa- she says it's a wolf. She anticipates that her furry cousin will be there and things might
1: get a little weird.
3: In his
2: costume?
1: She she says he may uh, come out mid-meal in his wolf costume.
3: Well, first of all, I hope he comes out at the end of the meal in his wolf costume, because if his meals are anything like my meals, that wolf costume's going to have to go right to the cleaner's. So that's one approach: is to say, listen, that is the greatest wolf costume I ever saw. You don't want to get all full of turkey and gravy and and pecan pie, and just you know make a, and identify with the wolf posing cousin. How does the cousin? How does the cousin eat through the? Does the wolf costume permit that? That's, that's a, good a good question. Man,
1: yeah, I mean, I imagine you can probably you can probably get gravy through the mesh, <laughs> but anything solid.
3: All the more reason. That this might not be the right time to wear the costume.
2: But, but you know what? This is a situation where you really don't want to ask, how about them bears?
3: No, no, that could create all kinds of resentments and turmoil. All
2: right. David Axelrod, thanks so much. Okay, good to see you. David Axelrod is the director of the Institute of Politics at the University of Chicago.
1: We, we've been talking about uh, Thanksgiving so far, but we want to project uh, just for a moment into the future and talk about Christmas. Researchers at the Erasmus Medical Center in the Netherlands have been studying reindeer. John Cullen is on the line with us now. He's a scientist at the University of Rochester. John, can you just explain what these uh, scientists in the Netherlands found?
4: Okay, sure. Yeah, the group actually looked at um, the differences in the blood capillary network the small blood vessels in the noses of reindeer and compared it to humans and what they did with the reindeer they put them on a treadmill so subjected them to some exercise and looked at images of the the blood flow in the nose and showed that there was a 25 percent um greater vascular density in the nose of of the reindeer when compared to humans and this may be why um Rudolph's nose is red, and also, in addition, in the cold environment, um, the heat in the nose stops it from freezing.
1: So so basically, reindeer have a lot more veins in their noses than, than we do, which would, uh, when they're exerting themselves, the blood pumping through those veins would make it look red.
4: Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Wow.
1: So what that means is that there's a
2: scientific basis for Rudolph's red nose.
4: Absolutely, yeah, there's no doubt about it. Given, given this evidence, and, you know, they looked at more than one reindeer, given this evidence, it definitely suggests that there is evidence that Rudolph had a red nose.
2: So, so is it possible then that Rudolph has even more capillaries and blood vessels in his nose than the other reindeers pulling uh, Santa's sleigh?
4: That is possible, I mean, maybe he he needed that too, because he was at the front of the sleigh, so he would have been in the direct line of air turbulence going forward. He would have been hitting the cold air first, so maybe he some adaptation of of his physiological system, or maybe that's why he was in the front because he had the reddest nose
1: so i I mean when you know when you hear about Rudolph, my understanding is that not only is the nose red. But that it, it glows the way, say, a uh, a light bulb might. Is there any physiological explanation for what might make the the nose uh, glow like a light bulb?
4: That is an excellent question. There, I mean, there are some naturally fluorescing proteins that occur in in nature. Uh-huh. For example, if you look at a firefly, so perhaps there could be something in Rudolph's blood that gives it more of a fluorescent property, and this may be why it actually glows uh, more like a light bulb.
1: And, and, you know, from what we know of natural selection, maybe this is a mutation uh, that Rudolph has that other reindeer don't. Um, And if it would help with, uh, you know, sexual selection, then it would get passed on, and more reindeers in later generations would have glowing noses.
4: Yeah, if it was thought to be useful, and you know, what would you say with um, evolution, it, anything which is thought to be considered to be beneficial to whatever species, it, it does get carried on. So probably, you know, you would you would see more descendants of Rudolph that would have um, red noses.
2: Is it like uh, red hair? Is it a recessive type of thing?
4: That that's something that they didn't look at in this study, <laughs> and I don't know. <laughs>
2: Sure. Well, let me ask you let me ask you another question. So, how did the reindeer react to being put on the on a treadmill? I don't imagine that's a regular occurrence in their in their routine.
4: No, what and um, the other thing that they did, they give them some sedatives so they they slightly anesthetized them so that they were a little calmer in that environment, but there is a video online and it shows I mean, the reindeer seems quite alert. Um, but obviously they had to take some measures to um, prevent it from, you know, stepping out outside of its comfort zone and, and going on a treadmill. I'm sure they don't exercise on treadmills or CrossFit or do anything like that on a usual basis.
2: Well, is that part of their reindeer games?
1: <laughs>
4: it should be. It, it could be. So, yeah, that, that's a possibility.
1: Well, John, thanks so much for uh, talking to us.
4: Thank you very much, Mike and Ian. I appreciate it.
1: It's possible that you're listening to this while you're making Thanksgiving dinner. There's probably chaos around you in the kitchen. Things are probably boiling over or burning. Terrible cooks, these next 15 seconds... Are for you. <laughs> I I think uh, maybe the the people I like least in the world are the people that get mad when you call dressing stuffing.
2: I didn't know that people people that get, get upset about, about that. that.
1: They get mad. What do you call it? I call I call it all stuffing. I don't care where it was cooked. Is that the difference? I think dressing is, is the same stuff, but cooked outside the bird. Oh, but it hasn't been stuffed into anything. Right.
2: I'm going to stuff it in my face. In hey, Aaron. What can we help you with?
0: I I have something that I am just I think it's the ultimate Canadian question. Canadians are known mostly for two things: that Canada is very cold, and that Canadians are very polite.
1: Yeah,
2: and
0: right. there's this just one social grace that is just paralyzing me with fear, and I, I need help. Okay. So because it's very cold in Canada, there's often these outside doors to a building or a restaurant. And then there's another set of doors once you're inside. Mm-hmm. And there's this little box that's supposed to trap the heat.
1: This is kind of that uh, kind of fabricy extra structure that, that like a restaurant will put on during cold weather.
0: Well, sometimes it's fabric, but often we actually have like a glass box. And then oh, okay. so you walk through the glass box and there's usually like a heater that's blowing lots of really hot air into that glass box. So the problem is you've got these two sets of doors that are about five feet apart from each other. Right. So what normally happens is, you know, if you're first to the door and there's somebody behind you, you open the door, you hold it open for them. But then immediately you've got this other set of doors. It creates this, this weird, like, synchronized door opening with all these thank yous and your welcomes that's just really awkward and uncomfortable. I, I never know whether to say thank you or not, so then sometimes I'll just, you know, be like, oh, you know, thank you.
1: Yeah, you're up against, you're up against gratitude fatigue at that point.
2: Aaron, have you ever done anything to avoid having to open the door or (laughs) say something like knowing that there's another person there? Have you ever been like, you know what? I'm going to hang out outside for a few (laughs) minutes. No. Okay.
0: No. No. I I mean, my my desire for donuts is it trumps, trumps my desire to be proper. I think.
1: I think we have somebody who can help out. Aaron. Ed Trinka was
2: a doorman at the Plaza Hotel in New York City for 46 years. So,
1: Ed, you heard Aaron's problem. What do you think?
5: I tell you, the more you say please and thank you and smile, that's it. The more, the merrier. Sure. People enjoy that.
1: So if you're going
2: to go overboard, the best move is to say thanks twice instead of not saying thanks.
5: Exactly. Exactly. When in doubt, do it.
1: And, uh, you know, I I was thinking about being in the, the other position when you're opening the door. And you have to open two doors for someone in a row, and it's kind of tough to get around them. How do you navigate that?
5: Uh, you just, excuse me, and uh, I'll take care of that.
1: You kind of make clear what you're doing. Just right, let, right. let them know.
5: And it, it, you know, yeah, you acknowledge what you're going to do, and you, you just sign, you know, you know body, body language. You know, I, I used to go up to with John Candy. He was my favorite, one of my favorite customers, and he was up in the Yorkville section, up in Toronto, up there. I used to go to the comedy show, and they did, matter of fact, have doors like that. And you go in one door and the other door, and you know, it's like it's like uh, you got to use a little strategy to go around and, and, and maneuver. But but you know,
1: yeah, you know, I I hadn't thought about it before, but I guess in in your position, nothing goes into that hotel without you knowing about it.
5: Exactly, exactly. Yeah, my favorite was Richard Nixon.
2: Oh, my. What was Nixon like? Was he a, a friendly guy?
5: A very friendly guy, yes. He'd come over and talk to me in the morning. Well, he lived just up the street there. We used to come out on a Sunday morning. So it was a lot of good memories with
2: him. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
5: It's just like Tony Bennett. He'd come by, and, you know, and it was a book about the plaza, was given to me, and I, and I had some copies of them, and I gave it to him one day as he was walking by. So his son came down, and he said, Listen, my father wants to know if you could autograph this for him, so I had to write. To Tony Bennett from Edward the Doorman. That's something. <laughs> Reverse, eh?
2: That's awesome.
1: And, and one thing that, that I've all, well, while we're on the subject, one thing uh, I've always been curious about, what, what's the right thing to do with revolving doors? Well, ladies
5: first, naturally. Okay. And uh, it depends who you're with.
1: What, oh. What do you mean? You know
5: what I mean? If, if it's, say, like two friends, you know, it doesn't matter who goes first or second, you know what I mean? Yeah. But if, if it's a lady, you let the lady go first. Or if you want to be a re- if it's an older person, you let them go
2: first. If you if you if you're talking about a revolving door and you're with say your your partner, is it okay to squeeze two people in one little quadrant
5: if it's big, if it's big enough? And, and and you know, I had a couple of police officers one time, and I think it was around St Patrick's Day, and they had a few drinks in them, and uh, one one guy handcuffed his partner to the revolving door, <laughs> <laughs> and he kept going around. They went down the, down to the bar to the oak room, and you know. He kept going around and around and around, you know. And I'd say a good half hour. he said, "Eddie, please go in there and get him. You can get the key, you know." You know. So, there's, like I said, there's always something happening with doors and revolving doors and opening car doors, and you know. And you never know who you're going to open the door for.
2: So, Ed, when somebody holds the door open for you now, now that you're no longer working at the plaza, what do you say? What's your What's your number one? I words?
5: always say thank you very much, and I tell you what I do. A lot of times I'm in a supermarket or, I'm, or I'm, I'm, I'm approaching the door. I open it for somebody and I say, oh, you got doorman service today. And little did they know that I was a doorman for those 46 years. But anybody with me, my son, my girlfriend, anybody, they, they laugh. They say, they don't know you're a real doorman.
2: <laughs> well, this is great. Thank you so much, Ed.
5: Okay, thank you so very much, gentlemen. And have a very happy Thanksgiving, you and your listeners.
1: All right, happy Thanksgiving. That does it for this week's show, What We Learned Today, Mike. Well, I learned that
2: uh, scientists in the Netherlands put reindeer on treadmills just to see how,
1: how much their noses would glow. I feel like I would go to the gym a lot more if that, if that was even a tiny possibility that I would be on a treadmill next to a reindeer.
2: I mean, think, going back to, to David Axelrod and what he said, I think if you don't know anything about sports, you're going to have a tough time getting out of conversations with people. Because if someone says to you, how about them bears... And you don't know about, like,
1: the football team. You, you wouldn't even understand the question. What, what about them? I will say they're among the finest salmon fishermen in the animal kingdom. They make glorious rugs. there are many different varieties, from the short-nosed bear to the great grizzly. It seems odd that you would have brought up bears at random during our Thanksgiving dinner. This is the season we eat turkey.
2: I don't know what you eat in your
1: family. How to do everything was produced by Sarah Geis with Steven Tobias. Technical direction from Lorna White. Our intern is Mike Danforth.
2: What? Get us your
1: questions at howtonpr.org. At Our website is howtodoeverything.org. I'm Ian. And I'm Mike. Thanks. Thanks.
2: David. I still don't understand if if uh if it's natural for for reindeer to have these red noses why were all the other reindeer mean to rudolph
1: i mean i just kind of like an x men situation you know like rudolph was just genetically i think a little more advanced and they they feared him you know that actually would be terrible if in the x men you had
2: wolverine doctor xavier and rudolph yeah
1: you don't want to be the one at the showdown with Magneto, whose only power is that your nose changes color. Quick, Rudolph, use your nose.